Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds, our European champions. Welcome to episode number 12 of Believe in Borussia on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. And if you like what we do, don't forget to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us gain more visibility and bring you fresh content. The Bundesliga and the Champions League are over, but soccer never sleeps. And Borussia Dortmund's amateurs, the under-23 team of Borussia Dortmund, has won promotion, or so it seems. We'll shed some light on the drama around that. And I'll give you a little overview about the amateurs, their history and also some of the criticism that evolve around second teams in general. And we have one of the most notorious shameful anniversaries in German soccer history. On June 6th, 50 years ago, the Bundesliga match-fixing scandal broke loose, so we'll talk about that too. But before we continue, a quick message from our sponsors. As the month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and BetOnline is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups including prop bets and futures, BetOnline has all the latest odds, news and information for your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device and join to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So the biggest sporting news coming out of Dortmund recently was the promotion of the BVB Amateurs, which is the BVB Under-23 team. Head coach Enrico Maaßen and his boys secured promotion to the Dritte Liga, the third division, one of the three pro leagues in Germany with a 2-1 win on the final match day. That is huge news for Borussia Dortmund, as this is as high as any second team can play in Germany. It means that the club can offer the upcoming stars and youngsters the highest possible platform to test their skills on and develop them further. Borussia has extended Maaßen's contract already before he secured promotion until 2024 and will look to field a competitive team in the third division next year. The BVB2 coaching gig has been the platform for many promising young coaches who broke into top jobs around Europe, including Daniel Fark, who's coaching Norwich and has just led them back into the Premier League, obviously David Wagner and Daniel Sievert, who both worked at Huddersfield, or someone like Uwe Neuhaus, who won promotion with Bielefeld and also worked at Union and Dresden. And last but not least, 
Hannes Wolf also held the position at BVB2 and is currently the head coach at Leverkusen. There's one caveat though. The promotion is not yet official as Rot-Weiss Essen and Bergisch Gladbach have entered objections claiming that a few games that were rescheduled due to COVID constraints at BVB could have been played because BVB's squad is big enough with a pool of under 23 players, youth players and potentially pros. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not really sure how valid that claim is. To me, it seems like a disadvantage to actually have to reschedule and push games back and play more in a short succession. And it wasn't like all of a sudden Mats Hummels and Marco Reus were turning up at the Rote Erde and putting in shifts against Wuppertal and Oberhausen. Team officials seemed relatively unconcerned, so I don't suspect this to hold much weight and expect to see the BVB amateurs in the third division next season. Some of you may have never heard of the BVB Amateurs, since it doesn't necessarily make headline news when the 4th and 3rd division in Germany plays. So let me just give you a quick rundown of the BVB Amateurs. The existence of the team itself goes back to the 1950s. Generally speaking, it's quite typical to have 2nd and 3rd teams even at the senior level. Overall, most Bundesliga teams have had a 2nd team playing for a long time. In the lower leagues, it simply means that a club gives more opportunities for people to play at any given age level. So there is a first and a second and a third and maybe a fourth senior team allowing more players in that age category to play. But with a pro team, it's probably always been a bit of both. Allowing more senior players to participate in the club, but also having a reserve squad to test or park new players, youngsters, see how they fare and use it to potentially transition them into the first team. Since the inauguration of the Dritte Liga, the third highest division in Germany and first pro league, Borussia Dortmund's second team has won promotion three times including this year. The BVB amateurs have usually played a league below or just at the highest level possible for amateurs. Another highlight was for them reaching the Westphalia Cup final in 1991 and by virtue of reaching that final they also qualified for the only time for the DFB Cup. So, in 1991, it was actually the first and only time that two Borussia Dortmund teams were competing in the Cup. And here is exactly where the door opens to criticism of second teams in general in Germany. Does a soccer club really need two teams in a competition or in the three professional divisions of Germany? I think it's a very slippery slope. On the one hand, these guys, in BBB's case now, have worked just as hard as any other team in their league. They probably actually worked harder, so from a sole sporting point, they more than deserve their promotion. But critics may wonder if it would be possible for a team like Borussia Dortmund 2 to field players like Knauf and Tigges, who are surely young enough and uber-talented, but probably wouldn't be sticking around if there wasn't the opportunity to transition into the pro team. The Borussia Dortmund name surely doesn't hurt either in recruiting and for the club it's great to give youth players coming from the under 17 and under 19 a perspective and a possibility to play on such a high level. Because not everyone will make it to the first team eventually, but if you can stand your ground and learn in the third division, you'll likely at least end up a pro, which is the goal at the end of the day of every youth player. They want to turn professional and if you can show them Look, even our second team is playing on a professional level. That is clearly a convincing argument. 
But on the flip side, a team like Rot-Weiss Essen, which is just as much a traditional team as Dortmund and has a large and loyal fan base, they aren't returning to paid soccer now because they finished with 90 points, 3 points behind the champs from Dortmund. And if I'm an Essen fan, I'm thinking, why the heck do they need a second team in the league that most of their fans don't even care or know about, while it would mean everything to us to return at least back to professional soccer? Now, I'm often hearing the argument, well, if you can't even beat a bunch of kids from Dortmund, maybe you shouldn't be playing third division soccer. But I feel it's a bit of an egg and a hen situation. How are you going to improve your team, attract better talent and, you know, more potent sponsors and all that if you can't qualify to the third division? The Dritte Liga is an extremely challenging league for most of the clubs. Many lose money because the jump in revenue from getting promoted isn't as large as the jump in requirements that you need in terms of wages, infrastructure, logistics to play professional soccer again. But still, it was a very attractive league last year with some big names of German football, Kaiserslautern, 1816 Munich, Hansa Rostock, Waldhof Mannheim, Dynamo Dresden, FC Magdeburg. We're talking about multiple German championships, even European championships in that division. And a team like Essen would definitely benefit from big marquee matchups, national matchups, not just the regional ones that they have right now, to attract a big crowd once it's possible again and probably up their finances. And to be perfectly clear, it's not that nobody cares about Borussia Dortmund's amateurs, or quite the contrary. There are quite a few very, very devoted BBB2 fans, and they actually support the amateur team more than the pros because it's a less blown up and less commercial experience overall. They like the rustic old school vibes of the Rote Erde, the old stadium of Borussia Dortmund where the amateurs play right next to the Westfalenstadion. And they like the local derbies. And just watching a young team with spirit that fights hard and doesn't take anything for granted unlike some of the spoiled performances at the pro teams. Second teams usually field very young players and the under 23 of Borussia Dortmund is no exception. The only pros you usually see there are pros that are actually still eligible for under 23 or even under 19 soccer. Just like Ansgar Knauf who could still play under 19 actually and the same I think goes for Tigges. I think only Felix Paslak played a few games from the pro team with the BVB amateurs, which often happens if a player is coming back for example for an injury and just needs some match time to get back on track. So if the rest of the squad are simply young guys chasing their dream of professional soccer and working hard for it individually and as a team, then why shouldn't they play as high as they possibly can? In this following segment we're going to talk about probably the lowest point in the history of the Bundesliga. This past Saturday, 50 years ago, the Bundesliga scandal broke loose at a garden party in Offenbach. It was the 50th birthday party of Kickers Offenbach president Horst Gregorio Canellas. A beautiful summer day, garden reception, well-dressed people enjoying some cool drinks and a tape recorder sitting on a table with an absolute bombshell. Canela's idea of entertainment was to play his guests a couple of phone calls with other Bundesliga players and officials that he had secretly taped about greasing games. And one person he taped it for? 
than Germany's national team coach, Helmut Schön, who immediately paled and left the party in disbelief after listening to the tape. To understand the recording significance and how it could even come so far, let's take a few steps back. Der deutsche Fußball hat sich zu einem Wagnis bekannt. Die Fußball-Bundesliga. Der Fußball-Bundesliga. Bundesliga finally arrives. In the summer of 1963, German soccer changed forever with the arrival of the Bundesliga. Up to that point, clubs had competed in various regional leagues across Germany, with the top teams from each Oberliga playing each other in a playoff-style format to crown a German champion. More importantly, players were only Vertragsspieler, which means they were amateurs that were contracted to a club and could only be paid a certain stipend, which was very, very low. But soccer itself wasn't amateur at all. And needless to say, where there's lots of money to be made, people try to gain an advantage any way they can, and under-the-table corruption blossomed in various forms around the land. But still, it wasn't even close enough to what full-on pro leagues in England and Italy were playing their players. Higher wages and transfer fees usually means better players, and better players means better competition. So German soccer was seriously threatened to fall behind. The remedy was the foundation of the Bundesliga, a national top division where the absolute best in Germany would compete against each other week in, week out. But the German FA, in popular opinion, still weren't really fond of the idea of full-on professional soccer. So instead of allowing for an open market type league as in Italy, they limited player salaries to 1,200 marks and transfer fees were kept at 50,000 marks. Clearly, those sums were an improvement from the Oberliga days, but even with bonuses, it wasn't even close to what top players could earn abroad. The German FA even acknowledged that by allowing exceptions for national team player wages to keep them in the country. The new league was an instant hit, with big clubs like Hamburgers V, 1860 Munich, VfB Stuttgart or Borussia Dortmund now playing each other every weekend and not just at the final championship round attendance levels and public interest increased drastically. So again, where there's lots of money going around, and the Bundesliga turned out to be a big business with lots of money going around, but official channels not allowing for enough of that money to come through to the players, well, that can only mean that back channels again were getting heavy action, and it seems that everybody knew. Just look at the ever-repeating college scandals. Are you still surprised when you hear that college players get paid under the table? Can you really blame him? Can you blame a Division I player for wanting some dough in his pocket if the NCAA is making something like, what, $5 billion a season? And what do they get? A couple of cafeteria meals and free access to life-changing classes such as, I don't know, the history of TV and uh, modern art intro 101 that they're never going to use again because, hey, you know, most of these guys actually want to become pro-athletes. No, you probably can't. If not common knowledge, then widely assumed that there were kickbacks and payments of some sort. So yet again, in the Bundesliga, just as in the Oberliga, bribery schemes boomed. The 1,200 marks were just about on par with an average blue-collar income in Germany. Franz Beckenbauer, Günther Netzer were global stars and were paid like the average Joe. Imagine offering Messi like, what, $2,500 and see what happens. 
So with such an obvious discrepancy between the value and the payment, there was little guilty conscience amongst players and participants in the schemes. And things got especially heated around relegation because it was a steep fall. It was much steeper than today. There was no second Bundesliga. There wasn't even another Pro League competition. It's like getting kicked out of Champions League and then end up playing in the USL 2. It was a big gap. And consequently, officials from relegation-threatened clubs did everything they could to stay in the first division. Now you might think, wait a minute, aren't there some sort of authority or sporting body that's supposed to govern and control all that? Well, the German FA simply choose to ignore the issue because it couldn't be what shouldn't be. And just like that, there was no more corruption in the Bundesliga. Voila. Canelas was well aware of the possibility of match-fixing. He himself had been approached by the Cologne goalie Manfred Manglitz as he had demanded 25,000 marks to keep a clean sheet against another relegation battle-plagued side, Rot-Weiss Essen. Remember Rot-Weiss Essen, Regionalliga West, BBB Amateurs, ring any bells? Anyway, Manglitz threatened Canelas that if he wouldn't pay up, Essen would score. Canelas paid, Manglitz kept a clean sheet and Cologne beat their competition with 1-0. At the end of each season, there were many players like Manglitz stuck on teams that had little to play for, as they were safe from relegation and too far away to challenge for the championship. And some of these guys simply figured, hey, why not make a few extra bucks from teams that are actually still playing for something? After Schalke had accepted money from Bielefeld to lose their encounter, which would later go down as the first officially recognized fixed match in the Bundesliga history, they had gotten a taste for it and the team sent their treasurer to Offenbach to ask Canelas for $100,000 and transfer dips on their two best players before their game on match day 32. Well, Offenbach won the match, the two players left after the season to play for Schalke 04, but the match is not part of the official records that listed the fixed games during that scandal. Either way, Canelas was now fully in the swing of things, but he wasn't sure what to do. He didn't want to get relegated, obviously, but of course he didn't want to keep coughing up the money, and even worse, he didn't want to let other teams cough up more money than he could. So what did he do? He approached the German FA. Actually, he went to the DFB multiple times and told them about rampant bribing and being approached by the Schalke treasurer, but the FA continued to ignore the problem and instead they asked him to present hard evidence. I mean, how much harder can evidence be than saying, hey, yesterday the Schalke treasurer was at my doorstep and offered me money. I mean, it sounds like they were waiting for a written invitation from corrupt officials to start investigating. Things came to a head before the final match day of the 1971 season. Rot-Weiss Essen was already relegated, but Eintracht Frankfurt, their rivals Offenbach, Oberhausen and Bielefeld were still in the running for the final relegation spot. And even the media was wondering aloud before the games about possible match fixing, with the stakes being so high and the results having been so odd. Offenbach needed a win to stay in. Their final opponent was Cologne, with goalie Manglitz, who already had accepted cash for two other games and was well aware of Offenbach's desperation. And when the call came from Canelas, asking him for a favorable outcome, Manglitz was ready to push the envelope. 
Magnitz. Kanina ist guten Abend, Herr Magnitz. Wie geht's Ihnen? Herr Magnitz, danke. Gesundheitlich übers Besser. He asked for 100,000 marks for him and a few other players to secure the victory for Offenbach they desperately needed. Yet the Bielefeld board wasn't to be outdone. They hadn't been slouches either and already fixed three matches, at least that is, and were now eyeing their final deciding match against Hertha Berlin. Canelas had approached two Hertha players offering them 140,000 marks to beat Bielefeld, but Arminia's offer was just better. Coming in at 220,000 marks, Arminia had won the auction. But what no one knew was that Canelas had been so fed up with the bribes and the kickbacks and the ignorance from the DFB that he had taped the conversation with Manglitz as the German FA had told him to do. Well, they didn't say tape the conversations, but they asked for hard evidence and hard evidence he was gathering. Even crazier in this real-life crime story is that Canelas, in his desperation, actually reached out again to the German FA the night before the final match day, urging them to reschedule after having spoken with Manglitz on the phone and being well aware that there was match-fixing going on in the other games. But in yet another case of astounding misjudgment, the German FA apparently thought that rescheduling the final match day would be a bigger scandal and they choose to do what they've always done, which is ignore the problem and act like it didn't exist. Canelas, on his end, had actually ended the negotiation with Manglitz, but had informed Cologne captain and Germany star Wolfgang Overath of his goalie's trespassing. To the surprise of fans and media, all of a sudden, Manglitz wasn't part of the starting 11 in the final game of the season against Offenbach. Cologne won, and so did the champions from Mönchengladbach against Eintracht Frankfurt. However, Daya Bielefeld was able to beat Hertha Berlin, the third best team in Germany at the time, by a goal to nil. Up to that point, Hertha Berlin hadn't lost a single match at home all season. Bielefeld, Oberhausen and Frankfurt were saved. When Frankfurt coach Erich Riebig was asked to comment on the mysterious scoreline in Berlin, he seemed rather unimpressed. He half-jokingly tells the reporter that he'd won a bunch of bets predicting a Bielefeld win. When the befuddled reporter wants to know from Ribic why in the world he would bet on a side like Bielefeld in the first place, Ribic just says, well, I can't answer that question publicly. So on June 5th, 1971, the die had been cast, or so it seemed. Because not even 24 hours after the final whistle, Canelas, at his 50th birthday garden reception, had invited the who is who of German soccer from national coach Schön to national soccer editors, but he didn't gather them to share cool drinks or try his pigs in a blanket. He dropped the biggest bombshell in German soccer to this date on them right there. Helmut Schön and the assembled soccer elite were listening to tape bribery, the match-fixing calls from Canelas providing the hard evidence that indeed match-fixing was real and rampant. Now the German FA had no other option but to act. But instead of looking at the full extent of the problem, they only seemed interested in confirming the writings on the wall and coming down hard on anyone stupid enough to get caught or opening their mouth, which included Canelas, who got banned for life. 
Three months after the news broke, the DFB concluded their investigation and 52 players, two coaches and six officials were facing fines ranging from 2,000 to 15,000 marks and banning multiple players for life, including Cologne goalie Manglitz, who got handed a two-life sentence ban, while Bielefeld and Offenbach lost their Bundesliga licenses. However, many player bans were later revoked and players were allowed back on the pitch. The most pressing issue for the FA was the first World Cup looming on German soil in 1974 and the FA was mostly interested in two things, appearance and tempo, which in the summer of 1971 meant handing out draconian punishment to throw those under the bus that had peaked out, but otherwise leaving the other stones unturned. While Eintracht Braunschweig and Hertha Berlin had the most convicted players, Schalke had the most famous ones. Klaus Fichtel, Klaus Fischer and Stan Lebuder, the goal scorer of the European Cup Winners' Cup winning goal with Borussia Dortmund in 1966, were all sentenced to a lifetime ban. But as I mentioned, Fischer's ban was revoked after only six months, while Lebuder was allowed to play again two years later. What made the Schalke players stand out even more was the fact that the players had sworn an oath and maintaining their innocence, which was obviously bogus, and caused them further trouble. While some of the other names that were convicted by the German FA were slowly fading into the background, the spotlight stayed on Schalke because they were now facing perjury charges and further legal ramifications in civil court after clearly breaking their oath. The reward for their troubles to this day Many people in Germany still refer to the club as FC Meineid or FC Perjury. The German FA, realizing their fertility when it came to amateurism, finally came to their senses and in 1972, a year later, the DFB scrapped their wage and transfer caps. That is it for today. I hope you liked our real-world crime story. Thank you for listening to Believe in Borussia presented by Bet Online. And if you liked the episode, please leave us a review, leave us a rating on Apple Podcast. Much appreciated. And until next week, a black and yellow shout out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.